fathoming the human element of malware. And a healthcare breach reporting site gets revamped. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. In battling malware, it's not just the bits and bytes defenders need to be concerned about. The human element that goes into building malware must be considered as well. Joining me is my ISMG colleague, Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz, who in a recent interview explored the hacks of the Ukrainian power grids and what they portend to power grids around the world, as well as to the security of industrial control systems. Hi, Matt. Hi, Eric. You spoke with Robert M. Lee. He's chief executive of Dragos, an industrial control systems threat intelligence company. What struck me about the interview is Lee's emphasis on the human element behind malware. But before we discuss that, briefly discuss the attacks on Ukraine's power grid and its implications for the security of power grids around the globe. What's interesting about these Ukraine attacks is just how little malware we've seen targeting power grids or power generation systems. Previous to the Ukraine attacks in 2015 and 2016, we only saw three kinds of malware designed to target industrial control systems. Stuxnet, which everyone's heard of, as well as Havocs and Black Energy 2. In 2015, we saw what researchers dubbed Black Energy 3 targeting Ukraine. And then in 2016, we saw a new type of industrial control system malware, more of a platform that can be modified in various ways, being used to, again, target Ukraine. A lot of people say, well, that's Ukraine. Russia's obviously got a beef with them. Maybe it's Russia attacking them. Why should anybody else in the world be concerned? I put that question to Robert Lee, and he said that it's very possible that the platform could be modified to attack power generation firms in many other countries. The nuance here is it's concerning and it's alarming. It's, it's escalatory from what we've seen, and it deserves strong statements back, especially internationally. But it's not to the point yet where people should be freaking out or building bunkers or anything silly like that. Now, Lee says it's unlikely that we'll see similar attacks targeting power grids in Asia, the Middle East, Europe, or North America in the short term. But he does expect other groups to be learning from this malware. We always see that when advanced malware appears, gets dumped. Cybercrime groups seize it. Other groups with political leanings seize it. And they're going to put it to use going forward. Let's discuss the human element behind malware. Why is that important? It's important to note in any kind of an attack that involves malicious infrastructure, so be that a botnet or a Trojan or spear phishing attacks, they're just part of the puzzle. What you want to look at, especially in these power grid malware attacks, is not just who's launching it, but also who ordered it, who actually wrote the code, who else is involved. Here's Lee. Defenders shouldn't be just focused on what the malware is. They should look at the, the larger intelligence picture. And I don't mean intelligence like indicator to compromise and things like that, but understanding adversary tradecraft, countering the fact that you've got a human-focused group, operation teams. You're looking at funded, focused human adversaries. For that reason, you need to be able to take a flexible, empowered human defender approach to actually counter them. It's not just understanding the human element, but having a deep knowledge of one's own system's functionality. That's correct. One of the interesting takeaways that Lee shared about the 2016 attack in Ukraine targeting the power grid is it looks like attackers got access to the systems they were targeting six months. So in July 2016, before they actually unleashed their actual attack. Lee doesn't know why there was this six-month lag, but guesses 
it had to do with the ease of getting access via spear phishing contrasted with the difficulty of mapping these control networks. A lot of them are very different. And he thinks it took the attackers months to figure out how to actually write malware, not to take over the entire power grid or crash it, but just to disrupt it for what turned out to be a few hours. With such disruptions in mind, that really informs how the industry needs to react to these attacks. Here's Lee with more. Really to where the industry has to be prepared to go, it's not so much about can I identify and stop a specific piece of malware, it's can I understand the malicious behaviors in my environment, like a file getting executed and then randomly deleting all my files. You know, that behavior is going to be bad 100% of the time. Can we start moving towards more of a behavioral approach to understand what's malicious in our environments? Because our adversaries are learning from each other, they're learning from themselves, and we'll continue to see uh, sort of these amplifications uh, inside of already existing attacks. The takeaway from these power grid malware attacks is don't freak out. But definitely, if you're in the industrial control space, if you're a power provider, if you're someone involved in setting policy for these sorts of things, then prepare. Learn from the attacks we've seen. Look at how they are incrementally adding ways to disrupt power grids and then decide what you're going to do about that. To listen to Matt's entire interview with Robert M. Lee, go to Data Breach Today or any other ISMG News website. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. After this message, we explore changes to the U.S. government's so-called Wall of Shame healthcare breach reporting system. The enhancements are meant to empower individuals to better identify recent breaches of health information. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Global Summit Series will be taking place at the Marriott Marquis in New York on August 8th and 9th. Hear from subject matter experts like Randy Trezak of Carnegie Mellon on insider threat detection. Learn more about ransomware, endpoint detection, malware, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. Welcome back. For the first time in years, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has made changes to the so-called Wall of Shame breach reporting site. To discuss those changes, I'm joined by Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. First off, what is the Wall of Shame? The website operated by the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights was first unveiled in 2009 as called for under the HITECH Act, which requires HHS to make public the information HIPAA-covered entities report to OCR when they're involved in breaches of unsecured protected health information of 500 or more individuals. I should note that HHS itself never refers to the website as the, quote, wall of shame. That's the informal nickname nickname that's often used by media and research outlets, HHS calls the website the HEPA breach reporting tool. OCR officials actually hate the wall of shame nickname. Uh, We like that name. (laughs) Why did HHS make changes to its breach reporting site? OCR says the enhancements are meant to empower individuals to better identify recent breaches of health information and to learn how all the breaches of health information are investigated and resolved. And the enhancements do include links for consumers, for example, information that the Federal Trade Commission provides about how individuals can protect themselves against identity fraud in the wake of a health data breach. But it should be noted that in the bigger picture, some members of Congress have recently complained that the website is an unfair source of long-term embarrassment for the healthcare organizations listed, especially for those that report breaches that aren't necessarily their fault 
fault because the breach incidents are permanently listed on the tally no matter how long ago they took place. In June, HHS officials responded to some of these congressional complaints saying that HHS Secretary Tom Price was reevaluating the HHS breach reporting website. And while OCR hasn't commented on exactly why they made the changes, it appears that some of these changes might have been made in response to the complaints. How so? In the past, the website listed all major breaches reported since 2009. There's been more than 2,000 such breaches. The website still includes a list of all these breaches, but you have to dig a little deeper to find that. There's an archive button that allows the public to view the list of breaches that have been reported more than 24 months ago, as well as all resolved breaches. However, the front page of the website now only lists unresolved breaches that were reported less than 24 months ago. And right now, there are only about 354 such breaches listed on the front page of the website. What's the review from stakeholders on these changes? It's a mixed bag. Some experts think that complaints about healthcare entities being listed indefinitely on the website are valid because it isn't an embarrassment that doesn't go away. But others say the public has the right to know about these breaches impacting health information no matter how long ago they occurred. Before I let you go, there was another story you worked on this past week that caught my attention. An employee at a state-run psychiatric facility in Massachusetts has been accessing inappropriately patient records for 14 years. How did such a breach go for so long without being detected? This kind of spotlights some of the difficulties in the healthcare sector when it ter- when it comes to people who might be authorized to see some information but not all information. And in this incident, there was a hospital clerk that was involved and approximately 1,100 patients' data was snooped on during this 14-year period, which makes, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there is harder to notice. Do you know what kind of information was exposed? The Department of Health and Human Services in the state of Massachusetts, which runs the hospital, says that the information that was inappropriately viewed include patient names, addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, diagnoses, and other information about medical treatments from the hospital. Although someone saw this information, you know, anything was done with that information by by the clerk. The Department of Health and Human Services in Massachusetts says that there's no evidence that any of the information has been misused. Do you know if the clerk was punished? There are some reports saying that the clerk had been terminated and the state does admit that the employee is a former employee. So we know that person's not working there anymore. So how can hospitals or other organizations for, for that matter prevent such such snooping from happening? Preventing these things from happening, you know, the use of role-based sorts of controls can help. But when it comes to the detection, that's a little bit harder often because a lot of these healthcare organizations don't have the resources to follow up on some of the red flags that might come up. But other experts also say that behavioral-based monitoring solutions can make it easier to detect even small deviations from what's appropriate activity to what's not appropriate when it comes to authorized users. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, HBO confesses that it's been hacked, and media reports say stolen information includes story details on an upcoming episode of the fantasy drama Game of Thrones. HBO didn't provide details on the breach, but released a letter its chairman Richard Plepler wrote to employees. 
The letter confirmed a recent cyber incident that resulted in the compromise of proprietary information. Plepler wrote HBO immediately began investigating the incident and was working with law enforcement and outside cybersecurity firms. Data protection is a top priority of HBO, Plepler said, and we take seriously our responsibility to protect the data we hold. Entertainment Weekly reports that hackers stole 1.5 terabytes of data with a script or treatment for the coming week's episode of Game of Thrones, as well as still-to-be-broadcast episodes of the shows Baldur's and Room 104. Those episodes reportedly already had been posted online. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.